Hi, everybody. Uh, tonight, we have a special guest. We have a couple special guests. Uh, one is uh, Samaria Rice, uh, Tamir Rice's mother, who's going to be talking about some of the developments in the case regarding her son. Uh, we're talking about, we're talking to uh, Daz Leoon, who is the assistant to the director of the upcoming film, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which will be on HBO Now and in theaters, HBO Now, uh, January 14th. Um, and then we have Kwame Shakura the, of the uh, Black Liberation Circle. But we're gonna be talking tonight about basically justice, uh, systemic justice and what that means in the Trump era. So I'm gonna bring everybody on, well, the post-Trump era. I'm gonna bring everybody on so we can have a nice little conversation. How y'all doing this evening? All right. Good, thank All right. you. Yeah, so candy. we started we we started off as we as we normally do. We started <laughs> off, you know, with a nice little run-up conversation where we were talking about you know the state of things, you know, where we are uh, when it comes to you know just us as a people in this country, systemic justice in this country, police brutality uh, in this country. Uh, and Ms. Rice, you were talking about your experience over the past past six years. Um, mm -hmm. How have things changed for you? Where, where do we stand now in regard to uh, seeking justice for your son? Well, um, things really have, have, hasn't changed that much. Um, and uh, where we at right now is everyone seeing that uh, in the DOJ had decided to close the case quietly, you know, as they say, um, due to uh, a 15-page report came out saying that the video wasn't good, and that was one of the reasons why they closed it. But we know that was we know that the video was perfect. Um, the new administration, not the new administration, but the, the previous uh, prosecutors that was working inside of the DOJ with the prosecutor and the career attorneys and things like that, they wanted to pursue the case. Um, but the hires up, like I believe Jeff Sessions or William Barr was just sitting on the request and they never answered it. So that's how they say it quietly got closed and then the whistleblower got in contact with uh, my with the media, then the media got in contact with my attorney. That's basically how it went. So um, far as on the on a, a federal level, um, I am having my uh, attorneys write some letters, request those memos and them reports to apply pressure to the state prosecutor, which is um, the state prosecutor in Cleveland, Ohio is Michael Malley. Um, it's a six-year uh, statute of limitations still left. Um, we have to December of next year to try to get charges on Timothy Loman for obstruction of justice, um, perjury, um, because we all know that he never asked Tamir to put his hands up or he told Tamir to put his hands up because his own partner stated that the window was rolled up and... So we already know, you know, I had uh, told them at the DOJ they need to use their uh, enhanced equipment to look at the video because across the continent, seeing the video crystal clear, I don't know how, how you all didn't. 
So it's a lot of things um, still um, lies within that, uh, within this case. Um, you know, working diligently. Let me just tell you that we're working diligently. Um, uh, one of my uh, attorneys need to have a conversation with the prosecutor, and that's what I'm waiting to hear on right now with the state prosecutor. And I'm waiting on the DOJ to, um, you know, see if they're going to have a conversation with me as far as, you know, it's a lot of things that play in place, especially with the Kobe the COVID-19 coming in, I don't know how any decisions was made because all the courts was supposed to be on call. That's number one. Number two is, uh, you know, I think um, they let the, they set on, they set on the case, didn't answer it. They let the statute of limitations run out purposely. I think I deserve an appeal with the new administration for them to view this since the last two, three administrations and none of the other attorney general generals uh reached out to me um loretta lynch eric holder no i have not talked to none of them uh obama i haven't talked to any of them people um you know from the last administration so um with this new administration coming in you know let's see what they're going to do and i hope that these people hold their uh, feet to the fire the black people that got them in you know all of the people that got them in not just black people all the people that got them in should be tired of this country being in distress and uh, allowing the white supremacy to commit genocide on American people, so American citizens. So that's where my that's where my case is. You know, you know, just to keep the pressure on, waiting to hear from folks. Um, I got like sixty days before I start making some noise again. Okay, we expect to hear that noise. We expect to hear that noise. So as far as building support around you you said that you've you've encountered numerous people over the over the past six years you know in regard to pushing back and resistance and you said that there's some there's some wolves and sheep's clothing out there who are who claim to be advocating for the people but not really actually walking the walk they're just talking the talk um yeah are you talking about like are you referring to uh some of the uh the activists out, out yeah. there? Is that, yeah. Yeah, that's what you relate. Well, I mean, um, um, at the end of the day, let me just say this. At the end of the day, I can speak for myself. If you come to me and you want to work with me, we should be working together. No activist should be trying to forefront, the, um, take charge of the family's movement uh, when it comes to this police terrorism that's continually happening on our families out here. And if you have the skills as an activist and to create the support for the family, that's what you should do. You should do the purity of your heart because it could be you. True, true. Daz, saw the trailer for your film. Um, I had it loaded. It's, it's not playing back. However, I did share it in the chat. Um, but it's, it's, it's a powerful film. Uh, can, you, can you tell me a bit about the background the background of it, how you came into being part of it, and the spirit of that that, that film that's connecting us today. Uh, so basically, a short story. Uh, well, long short. Long story made short is I've been a community activist since around 2012, 2003. Uh, 
there was a time where I was homeless and I was staying uh, in a friend of mine's dorm room. And this friend of mine was a, a white kid who was an activist, but I didn't have a place to stay. He gave me a place to stay on his floor. And during that time, uh, Elaine Brown and David Hilliard had come through to do a seminar and a, a speech at the University of New Mexico at the dorm, at the area that I was staying at. And so uh, I, I watched David Hilliard talk, I watched Elaine Brown talk, um, and I basically got inspired to stop doing what I was doing at that current time, which was uh, gangbanging, selling drugs, I was homeless, and I was kind of just stealing from cars and doing a bunch of shit that wasn't activating progress in my community. So after learning what they did and everything, I started being heavily inspired by what they're doing. And I took it upon myself to kind of be a delegate in the authenticity of education, like kind of teach by example and teach by resilience and perseverance. So throughout time, uh, I started a chapter of the FTP movement inspired by Karanja in Atlanta, out in New Mexico. And what, is that, what, what does FTP stand for, for those individuals who are not familiar? Uh, free the people, for the people, feed the people, and also fuck the police. It's an acronym that has a variety, variety of meaning. It can be activated by individuals' perspective, but it cultivates a certain uh, perspective of community to have the acronym carry a bunch of different versions of itself within its versatility. Mm -hmm. So within that, we started feeding people, doing a food program and stuff like that. But we are trying to free the people and we are saying, fuck the police. So back in New Mexico, where I'm from, we're heavily armed. We are pushing the RBG movement, the FTP movement. And eventually I had a daughter and I wanted my life to be a bit easier. So I started trying to organize more, develop more community. And I basically ended up getting raided because of a cop watch program that I directed. I got raided by the FBI and the CIA when my daughter was almost a year old. They raided my apartment, drug everybody out, confiscated all of our firearms, took pictures of my tattoos and put me on a list to do the Patriot Act and almost labeled me some kind of terrorist or something like that. And as a community activist who had come from nothing and was so resilient enough to build up some amount of equity, I was heartbroken, moved to Portland, Oregon to where I started pushing film, pushing photography and trying to integrate my message more into a uh, film and more into visual perspectives and building documentaries. And while I was doing that, I was given the opportunity to work on a TV show with the director Shaka King. It was a show called Shrill, it's on Hulu. And uh, we basically talked, we just had to talk about what I had done as far as community activism and what he inspired to do with film. And I said, bro, if you ever work on a Fred Hampton project, let me know. And he said, there's something in the makes with the Lucas Brothers, I'll get a hold of you. Eventually he did, and uh, we became best friends, brothers, and partners within this whole uh, bringing a coalition together to make this film predominantly, well, now I'll, I'll say 90% of black, black film, cast, crew, all that as far as the in input on perspective. Well, I'm stoked. I mean, you know, it's, it's Judas, Judas and the Black Messiah. That's the name of the film. And I'm stoked. I mean, I've seen, you know, both of the trailers that are out for it. 
um, Kwame, you are a, a, a student um, of, of black activism and liberation. Um, you've seen the trailer. You know, tell, tell me what you're looking forward to in regard to this film. Uh, put it in, in, a, in, a, in a historical perspective of my life. Uh, you got to understand, uh, I, I was on her last time and I talked about how I did 18 years in prison. And uh, uh, the first person, the first revolutionary that really impacted me was when I read a Vito Wawa 2 journal, uh, uh, Book 11. I still remember the journal, Book 11. And there's three speeches in there. It's power anywhere there's people. It's a class struggle, uh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, and then it's another one in there talking about we need to protect our leaders. Uh, when I read Power Anywhere There's People, uh, it just spoke to me in a, in, a, in a real profound way because this brother was 21 years old. You got to mind, you got to take him uh, in consideration. I was 21 years old the first time I went to a Supermax lockdown unit or me and a friend of mine jumping on a, a pig that was on some racist stuff against us in prison. You know what I mean? And so when I read this brother speak, and he was 21 years old, and he had this uh this this charisma that reminded me of like a Malcolm X, but he stood out to me even more because he was around my age. It made me really inspired to really change my trajectory of my life. And instead of uh, keeping a criminal mentality, he was the first one that said, hey, brother, you can be just like me and, and become a revolutionary and fight for your people. I always was a rebel. I just didn't have a cause. I couldn't put a circle around that thing I was struggling against. This movie went out uh, uh, this summer that it was uh, coming out. Uh, I, I was so inspired. I hurried up and shared Facebook page and stuff because I knew how much, even though I haven't seen it and I just watched the trailer, I know how impactful it could be because this is the first time in this country that a person uh, came uh, to articulate what black liberation really looked like. And this is not, not just something in uh, where we have. This is actually what happened in history. When we look at Martin Luther King, he his the apex of what he accomplished was the poor people's campaign but then when you look at the black liberation movement the apex of the black liberation movement was the rainbow coalition that fred hampton created where he brought together uh first organized within our own community and and taught us how to be self-sufficient to rely on ourselves stop relying on the system but then started to go outside our community and and bring in allies that could understand our struggle because the system was uh, doing the same thing to them in different ways. It just did to us in a more uh, aggressive way, a more genocidal way. You know what I'm saying? But it also related to, you know, the American immune, uh, 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 American Indian movement. You know what I'm saying? They had experienced genocide. It related to the Latinos that were still fighting for independence down in Puerto Rico. That's how Dos, uh, Jose Cacha Jimenez uh, 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 came on board with uh, Fred Hampton's Rainbow Coalition because he used to be a gang member, but he started to see what was going on. He was like, man, I want to take this uh, uh, Young Lords and make this a uh, revolutionary organization that's going to be standing in solidarity with the Black Panther Party. Then they reached out to the Young Patriots, which was a white organization, mind you, that was still allowing white supremacy 
to uh uh make the white population uh blame the black population and the brown population and other populations for their plight. You dig know what I'm saying? But it was Fred Hampton said, "Look, you're in the same uh situations we in. The pigs is whooping you uh, uh y'all in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Y'all in the bread line. Out of y'all uh uh welfare and stuff like this, y'all got to start to raise your consciousness to a class consciousness because that's the only way we gonna actually fight." end the oppression in all of our communities. This is the first time this happened in this country. So for a, from a historical perspective, this was a great uh, opportunity to educate this generation of what we should be doing today. So Mrs. Rice, based off of where the movement is now, like, you know, is there is there a movement right now? Is it just a, a bunch of, you know, disjointed you know, individuals, you know, trying to accomplish different goals, pulling in different directions. Like, can we coalesce in any in any shape, form or fashion? I know during the Trump administration, it seemed like Black Lives Matter was, you know, the thing. And everybody was on board with Black Lives Mattering and we had marches and protests and everything. But then now it feels like, you know, a pressure valve has been released. You know, things are calm now. Trump is no longer in office. Why do we need to be concerned, you know, about these issues um, that were causing so much upheaval? That that's that's the feeling that I'm getting. Well, let's let's be clear. Um, Black Lives Matter um, is a movement within itself. But when you have uh, people that are supposed to be leading some of these Black Lives Matter chapters and some of the folks, they have their own agendas at the end of the day. You know, let's be clear about that. Um, and I don't know what agenda that maybe is, but it, it don't look like justice to me because they've been out there in the streets and they've been doing things, but they we have still no justice among ourselves. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of figured that out after attending a couple rallies and meetings that, you know, they have their own agenda. As far as the movement, uh, I think it needs to, we need to have one clear agenda and um, we, we need to uh, get folks on board on one clear agenda and that's the problem. And for instance, like what happened in George Floyd, it was a lot of people out there, but I didn't see no clear agenda. You know, what was the clear agenda? And um, I think that's what people fall short of, of wanting to be, wanting to do something, be a part of something, but don't really know what they being a part of because there are no clear agenda. So it looks kind of messy. You know, they let people come in and infiltrate it and things like that, get the message all messed up if it was going to be a message or not. But um, it's just no clear, clear message um with with this movement right now and if we can get uh some families on board and to make a, a clear statement along with the activists i think that we can we can uh begin to um see some things you know what i'm saying because at the end of the day they cannot be having these conversations without the families at the table how you gonna have a conversation what about ceasefire on black and brown people and you don't have not one family member at the table are you crazy yeah. you gonna have 
You gonna have B and the Crump up there and Al Sharpton up there. You gonna keep having them people up there. No, you can't have what you gonna have them Tamika Larrys and Shine Kings up there. No, they lost nothing in this shit. They ain't lost nothing. So you can't have them at the table. You got to have some of the family members at the table with the support of the activists because at the end of the day, um, they have specific set of skills. Um, the ones that's really in this can help the families be strong and guide them the way that they need to be guided, you know, so they can have that strength like I have, like I have, you know what I'm saying? But although it was already in me, but, you know, just getting the truth out of a lot of the activists that was around me in the beginning, because they know I wasn't playing on that. You think you're going to sit here and tell me anything? My mama already told me, if it don't sound right, it ain't right. So I had to to me. Make it make sense. If you don't make sense, you got to get up out of my face because it's gonna be a problem. So um that that's that's uh what what I get when I see another family and then I see all these activists coming around. I'll be like, damn, I wish I can just have that conversation, which I did have a few conversations with some of the moms, and I have helped guide some of the mothers to not fall for the okie doke and you know try to guide them through the attorney process and stuff according to their states of course you know it's different everywhere um and some of them have worked some of them not but you know when this happens to you you really be looking for like the real genuine support don't come in here acting like um you doing something for free because they're not doing nothing for free and that's also messes the movement up because people be expecting things in the end and that's nothing wrong with it don't get me wrong but you have to uh, do, you have to do it the right way you know what i'm saying because i've seen all these people coming from everywhere and oh i'm gonna do this for you and i'm gonna do this and i'm just like you doing this for free like ain't nothing in ain't nothing in this world for free nothing so don't tell people it's for free but on the back end you create these relationships and then when the when the money come money come in play, um, it kind of and then they and then it's off to the next thing. So that's why this movement is broken up. You have to have real activists that's genuine that want to help these families um, and, and and do this. You know what I'm saying? And the blessings will come. Trust me, the blessings. Some of these activists don't even know, and I be supporting them. You understand me? They don't even know where it comes from. I say, take it as a blessing. You know what I'm saying? Because you you didn't have to come and do what you did for me, and that's with anybody. You know what I'm saying? That's with anybody, and I'm still rocking with one of the producers uh, for the Tamir Rice movie we got coming out. I'm still rocking with them folks. Like, my loyalty is everything, and do not play with me when it comes to my loyalty. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, you know, I got a lot of projects going on, you know what I'm saying? This and that and this and that. But far as the movement, let me get back to the point. The mm -hmm. movement is very broken. Okay. And every level and one thing I want to say, everybody can't be the um chief, okay? Yeah. We're gonna have to have some Indians, okay? Uh, one nigga a sink the boat just because they can't even be the chief, and that's not right. That ain't right. We got to come together on one accord and know when one win, we all win. And we just keep on winning till we all win. You know, so we got to have a start somewhere. In, in a Tamir Rice case, 
and, and everybody's seeing Tamir taste over the seven continents. They calling me away from Japan and Italy. I'm in projects with Italy, Japan, France, Germany. They all want to talk to me. I'm like, hold on. I'm all, okay. I, I'm going to get to you. Just let me breathe. You see what I'm saying? So with all of that, you can't tell me that the world is now watching over the seven, seven continents. And Tamir Rice definitely deserves justice among the many that deserve justice in this country. So, so, that, so that's where the movement is. Okay, so one key theme that stands out that, that I really wanted to talk about tonight that you've touched on, um, that Kwame touched on, and that is the, the whole center of uh, the film, Judas and the Black Messiah, is about leadership. Um, yes. One, one thing that we've seen in regard to, you know, movements in this country, whether they be within the black community or, or, or elsewhere, is leadership is not only important, but also targeted. That's the whole premise of Judas and the Black Messiah. Leadership becomes targeted. You know, how, first first off, Daz, what was it like living and, and seeing, you know, capturing the life of, of, of Fred Hampton and this experience, you know, on film? What, what was it like on set? What was the culture like in regard to living through you know, this experience and acknowledging, you know, betrayal that was coming from within. Well, like Kwame, I was heavily inspired by Fred Hampton, probably more than Huey, more than people that I've met and a bunch of other people. So going in with that mind state, I was hopeful that the, the cast and crew would kind of take in those same values of like the 10 point program and all these other things that were productive for the community at the time and kind of induce those into our lifestyles and kind of try to figure out ways to put ourselves in the real perspective of that time. And I wasn't hopeful because of the fact that I've been on previous sets where it was just hard for people to get a, a grasp or understanding of that construct. But it's like that, that film was the most emotional set I had ever been on in my life because it did drag everybody into those perspectives. Like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about a lot of this stuff that happened uh, on set and behind the scenes and stuff, but there were nights where some of people's favorite actors were just fucking broken, like emotionally broken because of the story so much that we didn't know how how to proceed with the film the next day in the right conscious headspace or feel. And there was times where, you know, our personal lives got affected by the history of the things, you know? And, and there's a lot of community that got brought in as well in that same perspective because of the fact that Chairman Fred Hampton was there so often and he did have like actors and cast and crew and everybody pay attention to the legacy of the perspective that we're trying to tell. And so it was really interesting because everyone that I had talked to said that that had changed their life. And through time, like through this whole COVID shit, we all check in on each other and shit like that. And we're more developed into building resources and narratives that help move culture forward. And I, I, I don't see that in Hollywood in the same way that I did on this film, because it wasn't, it wasn't a Hollywood made film. This is with real activists, with real people. I'm still currently a member of the Black Riders Liberation Party. 
I'm the historian for the Northwest chapters. And so it's a big thing for me for people to represent our legacies right. And so to see people actually respect that and do art with intention, it, it, it not only meant to the world to me, but it also gave me hope for future perspectives on what we build as far as technology into bringing organization to these thoughts. So that like Samaria said, like we have a developed concentrated thing and a train of thought and we put that into progress and into order. And so we say, this is what we want done with this person. Does everyone agree? And then collectively we build ourselves like a production company and we say, who are the particular lawyers? Who are the attorneys? Who are the DAs? Who are the these people that will help this process in the best, most innovative way, even if they don't initially work on that particular case? You know, like what knowledge have they developed in a way that's like on some spook who sat by the door shit so that we don't end up replicating Fred Hampton? Yeah. And so we don't get taken down as heroes. Yes. And, that, and that's one thing I want to focus on was the fact that in the in the civil rights movement of yesteryear you're talking about having you know specific individuals who become lightning rods for attention lightning rods for messaging so you get your you get your malcolm x's you get your martin luther kings and then because they're lightning rods they end up getting struck eventually struck down and the movement is demoralized so are we talking about moving forward now with central figures? Like, it's, I, I don't see this issue when it comes to any other culture. No one says, you know, who is the spokesperson for all Asian people? Who is the spokesperson for all Native Americans? But then when it comes to Black America, it's there's got to be that one, one or two or three or ha that handful of people, the, the Black bourgeois, whatever you want to call it, Though that becomes those individuals become the, the 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 spokespersons for all of us, and either they end up being co-opted by corporate interests or other agendas, or they get struck down and made an example of. That's what it seems like the two the the two the two options are for you in this country if you're going to be a, a quote unquote black leader. So with that being said. What is a new model? Is there a new model for leadership moving forward? Does there have to be a, a more distributed uh, um, a power structure, if you will, that can prevent that from happening? And it feels like that's what you're that you were that's what you're touching on, Daz. Yeah, I think that everybody plays a certain role, and it's definitely an each one teach one factor. And if we learn to play powerful positions in leadership. We need to be, we can learn to be innovative in a space to where it's not the clout that rules, the money that rules, the capital that rules. It's going to be the people that are like entrepreneurs in an intellectual way. The idea. They move processes forward. And it's going to be more, hopefully, it's going to be more branding within coalitions. One thing that's happened out here in Portland, where I'm currently living now, Portland, Oregon, which is big for political news and whatnot is we're not allowing there to be a particular leader in any movement, whether it's the black movement, the anti-fascist movement, because we don't want these people to get targeted and arrested in these ways that they have been in the past and stuff. But there are definitely intellectuals and leaders that gather and they have group meetings and stuff like that. And they build these conscious resources. And we've been able to build COVID relief resources. 
We've been able to fill it over five, feed over 500 families a week with our rainbow coalition that we built here. But there's not one particular person that we all look for an advancement in our education to. We look at each other as that advancement. So that if someone gets taken away, we can replace each other because we're giving each other the necessity to like want to learn how to fish instead of having a fish that we are giving. <laughs> And Samara, you were talking a little bit, you know, about something, you know, uh, uh, that I, that I feel is 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 very along those lines, you know, um, in regard to having some sort of, I guess, like council of survivors, if you will, individuals who have who have spilled blood, lost loved ones in regard to the struggle, who can inform, you know, what what how people should. How people should interact with the media, how people should advocate for specific causes. You know, it, do you think there should be some more, I, I guess, like centralized uh, repository of individuals or group of individuals that focuses on that and, and channels those channels that anguish, that pain? I do. Um, yeah, be like that said that um, we have to be able to. Um, you know, in, in like intertwine with one another. That way it's not feeling like all the focus on one person. I never asked to be the focus of this. Matter of fact, I don't want to be the focus of this. This is what I'm called to do. And certain individuals is called to do certain things and everybody has to play their position. And um, as I continue to teach others that want to be taught, uh, you know what's what's what, what's going on with the black liberation and what's going on with the cases and the families and how to maneuver around the attorneys in the system. You know they should just take heed to what I'm telling them because I didn't been through it already. So I think it should be more support with that, and it has to be genuine support. You know what I'm saying? Because the families are truly broken and they don't know which way to go. And they're infiltrated with the wrong people around them. Like in, in one of the cases, I'm not gonna say the name, like the attorney was an ex-police officer. How the attorney gonna be the ex-police officer? That's not gonna work, baby. So I need you to switch your attorneys and get rid of that police officer because your case don't go down the drain, as I told that family. But you know, they have to live and learn, and a lot of them. Like I said, it's just, it's just they be they be very broken. So we need more positivity groups out there that can kind of help lead the families the righteous way. You know what I'm saying? To give them the strength and everything. You know what I'm saying? And and to do right by them. And my thing is, um, it is some families that do make call for some of the activists, but when they call for them, they and they come, they have to be genuine about it and just make sure that the family is taken care of and they self is taken care of at the end of the day. I have no problem with that. It's just I have a problem with people do things behind my back and try to think that um, it's okay to just do it and it's just not. It's, it's really not like how they poster George Floyd name and Brianna name and Tamir name too. Like everywhere. Like it's 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 very disturbing. Let me let me let me it's very disturbing. It's bothering uh when I have to continue to see my son face and I'm like well dad when did they do this? Like I just have to you know you know hold hold myself and stuff like that and know and you know know that I have to share him with the world you know what I'm saying I have to share him with the world but um 
yeah, I do believe it should be more groups to support the families and the, the people that, you know, be in these situations. But we have to support each other, too. So, yeah, I do believe that. It makes a lot of sense. And just wing out the... Um, when you talk about them leaders being infiltrated, ooh, we, we talking about city council. They, they make our neighborhoods look real bad. We talking about... um. The chief of police, he make our her neighborhood. The, some mayors, he mm -hmm. make our neighborhood looks real bad. And then you got some of them churches out there that that's that's robbing and stealing from the poor. Grandma can't even go get her lights turned on, and she been doing there and donating all her money there, all her life. She can't even come get the lights turned on. So uh, those type of leaders like that. Then you have, um, you know, what they have promised some of the some of the people that's coming out of jail, some of the promises they made, um, promises they made and, you know, giving them things to the community and they don't do nothing for our community. The communities are, are very broken across the country. I am going to say that. I have been in a lot of urban communities and I can't understand why we have to live like this. Yeah, so, and it's disturbing. Kwame, you spent some time um, organizing, because uh, it sounds like, you know, this needs, this, this, this is a problem that needs to be solved, you know, from the ground up at the community level, as opposed to the top down, you know, trying to build some, you know, national, um, I guess, like advisory board, but from the bottom up, uh, what are some of the, what are some of the challenges that you've seen organizing, you know, at the grassroots level? Uh, one of the things we speaking about police terror right now is, uh, the fact that, uh, like uh, Maria said, uh, some of these movements uh, end up dividing some of the families. And a lot of the families are recognizing this now. You know, uh, I didn't know too much about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter until I got out here and started messing with some of the family members and hearing the, the truth from uh, some of the families and stuff and how uh, this, this movement, not all Black Lives Matter, but uh, uh, the ones uh, that they get all the money and the funding, and they don't ever give none of this money out to the uh, families. Like you know, it's a it's several uh, 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 family members on here right now. Uh, they're leaders. They're already leaders. You know what I mean? Samaria's a leader. Uh, Monteria Robinson's a leader. Lisa Simpson's a leader. Ashley Kione is a leader. I can keep on counting off names. These were strong voices in the police terror movement. You know what I'm saying? And it was unfortunate it had uh, that this calling came upon that life uh, due to tragedy, but they accepted it and they took their place and, and part of uh, helping us understand the way forward. This is why I agree with Samaria. We, we don't need, we don't need, uh, Al Sharpton's and Ben Crump's talking for the family. They can speak for their own self. You know what I'm saying? Because we, we know, and, and this is a thing you were talking about leadership. We got to put in perspective the ones that they promote, the system that they put on CNNs and stuff like that, that don't necessarily speak for our community. This is what the system has promoted and said, these are your leaders, black people, follow them. You know what I'm saying? And this is the history that this country has always played. You know, they don't want to uh, know black uh, uh, leaders like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, Fred Hampton, Hugh B. Newton. You know, they never gonna put me on CNN and I wouldn't give a care about being on there. That's why I come to grassroots organizations where I speak to the grassroots. 
I'm not speaking to the white rich uh, population and saying, hey, master, I'm not going to be no threat to your master and dance for you. You didn't want to like the difference between the grassroots leadership that's out here boots on the ground and we unrolled and uncut. A lot of us came from the streets. We came from prison. We over here, we understand the struggle against our community and we about black liberation uncompromised uh, we, you can't buy us off. We wake up every day for black liberation. We don't wake up every day to say, okay, how can I be an opportunist and make more money? You know what I'm saying for these people? Yeah. And that touches yeah. on, and that touches yeah. on. Next day. Go, go ahead, Miss Rice. Let me just say this. Now, I know you all seen when um, Ice Cube uh, proposed the black contract. And I said to myself, well, I don't know how he came up with the contract because he ain't talked to me and none of us about the contract. Mm -hmm. So, exactly. you know, that, you know, and I'm not saying that he had opportunists in anything. You know, I, I like Ice Cube and his rap and everything. But mm -hmm. at the at the end of the day, you don't speak for me, Ice Cube. You know what I'm saying? Whatever black contract you got, you, you have made that up among yourself. And whatever else you got going on, and you went to approach the ministrations and whatever one um ended up talking to you, you know, that's good. But the contract for black America America, that didn't have nothing to do with me. Okay, because if it had something to do with me, we would have been talking to that administration together. You don't speak for me, and that's the problem that I have with some of these so-called leaders, they do not speak for us. Um, and sometimes um like I said, the message get misconstrued. It don't be a clear message when you have others speaking and not the family speaking. You know what I'm saying? So it get a little mis misconstrued. As we're talking about, but as we're talking about black liberation or revolution, you know, I want to, we, we got about 15 minutes le left. I want us, we, we talk a lot about liberation, what things will look, what things will look like. In that great day when we reach the top of the mountain and, and Malcolm and Martin are there, you know, holding hands. We talk about that all day long. However, when it comes to revolution, there isn't a real discussion about what that looks like. When we're talking about Fred Hampton revolution, that's a little bit different than a Nat Turner revolution. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so with that being what it is, with that being, with that being what it is, what are we talking about in regard to in regard to actually acting on you know a revolutionary agenda? What does that what does that mean? You know, um, at what point does does our our complaining become theater? You know, you better don't kill another one of us, or it's going to be problems. All right, you kill that one, but if you kill one more, there's going to be problems. Well, okay, you kill those two, but if you kill a third person, there's going to be problems. And we act like that over and over again. At mm -hmm. what point does that become just, that's what the black people always say when we kill them. It, 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 become, it becomes a reality once we start to institutionally build towards black liberation. Like, I, I was on here last time and I told you that we need our own school. At the end of the day, these schools are not even designed. They're designed to keep us slave-minded. It's designed to keep us tap dancing. So we have to have our own institutions that's going to be geared towards black liberation and self-sufficiency when we develop a population. We always talk about a mass line, meaning that we go to the grassroots. 
and we try to develop them into being the leaders themselves as well. You know what I'm saying? This is this is the mistake in the past when we had this talented gift mentality where the smart 10% of the black people was gonna leave all lead all the other black people. And this created like one person leadership. And once they knocked them down, it was over with. You know what I'm saying? That movement fell to the wayside. We have to reproduce leadership through political education, through institutionally uh, uh, institutionalizing this, where if you knock down one, the next person is stepping up because they already have the political education, the experience, the boots on the ground to know how to take on leadership roles and stuff. We have to reproduce leadership by institutionalizing it. So, uh, that's the really the way forward uh, when we talk about um, how do we make this a reality? Well, we do so also by understanding that at the end of the day, when we educate the people, we're educating them to recognize that this system actually is always going to work like this. And we got to get rid of this flag mentality that we had for 400 years, but we want to assimilate into a white supremacist culture that will never accept us. And for us to wrap our mind around that for the first time is only gonna come when we start to inform each other about the real legacy of this country and how it relates to black and brown people even across the world. It's never been a country about freedom and democracy. When we look at the history of even how, uh, and, and this just be real brief, but this put it in context though, of why this system is always gonna be like this. When we look at the 1884, uh, uh, Berlin Conference when they went over that and they divvied up Africa and you had a person like King Leopold that killed between 10 million and 15 million after genocide but this came from their insatiable appetite uh, in his case for rubber and ivory but all the other those uh, colonial powers that went over there to dominate Africa and divvy it up it came from economic motivation of the system which came from the mother colonial country. That's why when we see over here in the United States, we see a same policy carried out against our black and brown community over here. The genocide that y'all was creating over there is the same type of genocide y'all doing domestically to the same population of people that look like other people across the sea. Because y'all see maintaining white supremacy is what y'all gonna do at any means necessary. This is what this uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, legacy uh, leaves behind. It showed us what this real this system really is. All these white people that voted for white uh, John, Donald Trump, that's the real face of America. It ain't, it ain't about brotherhood and freedom and equality. Those are the true representatives of this system. And if this is the, the, the reality of the situation, it's going to come ahead, but we're going to have to take back. You know what I'm saying? And not allow no more when we're going to be subjugated this genocide that's being carried out against our community, but it starts with us. It starts with us. Not the Democrat or Republican Party. Ms. Ms. Yeah. Rice. I, I was just going to say, I'm willing to have a conversation with the powers to be of this country because, you know, we we the new generation of people and then we developing new generations and um, we're not we're not our ancestors. You know, like I may say, we either going to take what we want and they gonna leave us alone, or we gonna have to, they, they could divide us up, give us one half of the country and y'all stay on the other half. That's about where I'm at with this. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, 
um, because they don't own the trees, they don't own the grass, they don't own the water, they don't own the, the, the earthly earth. The only thing they may own is the cement, and we can get our own cement company, and we can make our own thing happen. You know what I'm saying? I'm really about investing in the community and building it up, and that's just where I'm at. I don't really want to have to keep answering to them white people like, I, I just can't see that. But the way that this country is set up, that's the way it is. So I'm willing to have them conversations with the Queen of Elizabeth and the Pope and, and, and the Wizard and the Grand Wizard. I'm willing to have those conversations. <laughs> well, I, I can't understand how we still living like this and, 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 and they living like that. You know what I'm saying? My life is forever going to be changed what happened to my family. You know, you know what I'm saying? Forever changed. So, so that them conversations. So, so, so Daz, like, you know, based off of what you saw on set and, and the history that you, that you delved into in the making of, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah and, you know, these calls for unity and, and, and can we all get along with, you know, people who are unapologetically racist? Um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings on that? Is that, is that possible? Can we come together? Can we reconcile? Um. Short answer is no, but we can definitely take education from them in a way that's more progressive towards our empowerment and our narrative. And if we build the infrastructure of positive education in a progressive way that's proven to be advancement for the community, then I think that it's not a bad thing to hold those conversations, dig out of it what you can, and build resources out of those narratives even if it's as complicated as figuring out what it means to actually make changes within the Senate and the government. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, joining Senator government or state or anything like that, but it does mean pushing influence and building relationships with those people that are involved in those things and pushing that forward. At the end of the day, I personally don't think that that's alone gonna save shit. I think it's gonna be the, technology revolution that we're all being delegated right now in a way that currently is promoting capitalism, but will eventually promote this process to where as much as we're domesticated and as much as we're so introverted with our own initial selves and behind our own eyes so much, we're gonna, we're gonna find a way in a world to formulate and manifest an outcome that we become more of a resource than a priority because okay. of the fact that we're going to re realize our realness it's going to take a lot of fucking time but i don't think that we need white people and i don't think that we need big business and i don't even think that we need cnn the news and all these people to care if we build these same infrastructures ourselves within like a powerful resource within working together and that's why a rainbow coalition of integrity that's built now should be built on a technology like a technology revolution to where someone can learn about entrepreneurship or whatever they can to build the resources to to find the lawyers and shit like that that are that are available to them because they just don't have the resources there if we all had a network and we we're able to contribute and it was like this network that we're on right now but people could say what they want and say oh you need this I know this person that's already had this background, but it was a more connected network that wasn't built by white capitalists to push forward a narrative of market. 
we'd be in better hands. And I think that that's eventually where we're going to get to as we become more independent as a people. But we do need each other and each other's information to do yep. that shit. No, I agree. I, I agree with you, um, Daz. And one thing I want to say is that we could build a rainbow coalition, but at the end of the day, they know it's going to be led by black liberation. You understand? Right. We, the, we the ones that's suffering and dying out here. And um, I don't have like I have a lot of white allies that's, you know, my friends and stuff like that. And they do understand uh, what, you know, they understand the pain in this. So, you know, I do believe that we're going to. Um, you know, and, 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 and even with all of that, when when the when the white supremacists is ready to divide up the country, we'll take us, we'll take some of our white allies too, because they want to be over there with us anyway. They don't want to be over there with them white supremacists. You see what happened up at the Capitol, how they went up in there and and and, 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 and took everything out of there, clamming on the walls and doing blase skip. They don't want to be a part of that shit. They don't want to be a part of that shit. So we'll take we'll take some of y'all but just know that it's gonna be a black code of conduct you gotta you better understand that hey so i have of exactly what you said i just wanted to say one thing real quick yeah i have a i have a video in on youtube it's under young lawless america and there's a black business out here in portland oregon that was threatened by white supremacists and we band together with the levantine lions the palestinian group the brown berets uh, the Black Panther Party and the Black Riders Liberation Party, and we all were bearing arms and we wanted to go protect this business. But with us, we had this group of anti-racist skinheads, these white dudes, and we made sure that they were quiet, didn't speak to anyone. They're at the forefront of danger. They played their role in what they wanted to be as an entertainment factor within the process, but also as a benefit to us. And it it was building up these barricades in a way that we are able to utilize those sources and protect our people while protecting our business. That's right. People that wanted to volunteer that. And they ain't mm -hmm. getting no cloud off it. We ain't giving no community value. Everybody was masked up because it was COVID, but they played their positions in a really powerful way. But and that's Young what we Lawless do. America. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. Young Lawless America on the video. And if you, uh, okay. if you Google search it, you can see the video. And that's one of those things that I think within our Rainbow Coalition, we'll be able to like utilize because that does delegate back to those trailer parks where those poor white people live too when we fi find ways to be innovative within these like class war driven oppressive structures that are systemically built. They get, yeah. to, they get to eat off of what we learn. And that's why mm -hmm. hip hop is a huge fucking culture. But if we build our own culture in a way that's innovative, that's not strictly dancing, playing sports and all this other shit, but that's innovative in other ways, we have way more of a chance when we unify and we utilize each other in the right ways to build the right. Absolutely. Foundation. Absolutely. And that, well, I know we about to end, but just to add to what both of y'all were saying, uh, this is why political education even necessary, so important for white people, because you need to uh, betray white supremacy. You need to betray uh, 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 your class of uh, 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 being rich in a rich class and stuff like that in order to join our movement. You got to betray this whole system that taught you you were superior than us, that you supposed to be standing on the side of the upper class against our community. The only way you're going to be able to join forces with us is if you turn against that and fully stand boots on the ground with us. And, and any other thing is being lukewarm and you can always go back to the system and join your white supremacy. You know what I'm saying? Try to get your white skin privilege and stuff like that. 
But this is why this movie, the uh uh Judas and the Black Messiah, is so important because that is the way forward. That is the answer. That's why they killed Fred Hampton because he understood how to bring this system down and how to fight for black liberation that was gonna turn into human liberation and set the uh, example for the whole world. That's I can't wait. I'm so proud. I'm so happy and thank y'all. So I can't wait. What what day thank what you. day? What day is it? Uh, was is it coming? What other, what what day and what outlets? Um, uh, is the movie coming out? So everybody can watch Judas and the Black Messiah on February twelfth on HBO Max. It's also releasing in theaters that are COVID friendly around the nation that are still open. A lot of places are not open, but the ones that are open, uh, please go support and uh, if or oh, you see my name down here at the bottom. My name is Dotson, but if you have any constructive criticism or things that you have questions on as far as the development or why some things happen, feel free to reach out because that's what we did in the whole process of this movie. But February 12th, HBO Max for those at home and in theaters for those who can make it. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for everything. I appreciate all y'all for everything that you do so, so much. And this is exactly what innovation looks like to me. Absolutely. We build these conversations and people have access to them. We can connect with each other and build these resources in the more productive way. So I we don't need CNN. Uh, we got digital liberation front. <laughs> right. Exactly. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, share it, like, subscribe. Thank all y'all for being out here uh, tonight and, and and giving us your time and the blessing of your presence. Love all y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Absolutely. All right.